James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4. I'm just going to look at two verses today. And so I'll give you a few seconds to get there. James chapter 4. We're going to be in verse number 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I pray now that as we turn our attention to it, we do so recognizing that that's what it is. This is not a book that was only written by men, but men who are inspired of God, born along, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed from above, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So help us today as we turn our attention to this book. I pray you'd feed us from it, speak to us from it, teach us from it. I pray for myself, Lord, that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me to speak clearly and rightly this morning. Protect me from saying anything I ought not. Help me, Lord, to boldly say the things I should. But I pray people wouldn't hear me. I pray they'd hear you. And I pray that at the end of the day, we'd all know we'd heard from the Lord today. So speak to us, I pray. I thank you so much for the service we've had. I thank you for the good singing. I thank you for the sweet fellowship. I thank you for the time of worship. But help us now to turn our attention to the word. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastor walked into the church alone one day. And as he walked into the auditorium, he was overwhelmed by this sense of the holiness of God. And he was so overwhelmed by it that the tears began to flow down his face. And he came to the front and he knelt at the altar. And he began to smite his chest and say, Lord, I am nothing. I am nothing. A few minutes later, the minister of music walked in the back door. And as he walked in the room, he could see the pastor at the front saying, I am nothing. And he suddenly was also overcome by this sense of the holiness of God and his own unworthiness. And he went to the front and he knelt down beside the pastor and he began to to smite his chest and to say, I am nothing. I am nothing. Shortly thereafter, the other members of the church staff started filtering in. And they started making their way to the front. And also overcome by the, uh, the emotion of the event and, and the, the realization of, of, of the fact that the holiness of God. And they all knelt, the, the youth pastor and the Sunday school superintendent and all these were all kneeling here at the altar. And they were all smiting their chests and they were all praying and tears were going down their cheeks. And they were saying, I am nothing. And just about that time, the janitor of the church walked in. And the janitor walked up to the front and saw what was going on. And he was all caught up in the revival and he knelt down right beside the pastor and he began to smite his chest and say, I am nothing. I am nothing. And about that time, the pastor looked over at the minister of music and he said, look here. Look who thinks he's nothing. Do we not? Do we not all of us from time to time find ourselves guilty of the sin that James is describing in these verses? Speak not evil of one another brethren. The sin of speaking evil of or judgmentally slandering or looking down on others. 
Read again those verses. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? I want us this morning to concentrate on the gist of his argument, which I think is the two bookends of that particular couple of verses there. The first phrase says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And the last phrase says, Who are you to judge another? James is telling us here to consider our words and to consider our place. Two things. First of all, consider your words. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. James has already said an awful lot about the sins of the tongue, has he not? If we would go back and spend some time, we could look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and that might be something you want to do on your own sometime, but we've spent a lot of time there. James talked a lot about the sins of the tongue in that passage. He also talked about it in chapter 1, verse number 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He talked about it in James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So he's, he's talked about the sins of the tongue a lot. On the one hand, then, we might say that James here in chapter 4 is returning to an earlier theme in saying, do not speak evil of one another. But there's a difference here, and I think a more specific meaning here, because what he's talking about here is a very particular form of sinful speech, and that is slanderous speech. That word there in verse number 11, translated speak evil in our Bibles, literally means to slander, to speak against, to accuse. Peter uses that word several times. In 1 Peter chapter 3, that word is translated defame. 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. It's translated speak against in 1 Peter chapter 2.12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God. And so we're not talking about here about generic sins of speech, but about a very specific one, speaking evil. Speaking against, defaming, slandering others. This is what happened to Jesus when he stood before Pilate, when he stood before the Sanhedrin in the sham trial and others, false witnesses, accused and slandered him. It's what happened to Paul when he stood before Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Caesar to answer slanders and false accusations. It's a key characteristic of Satan. Satan is described to us as the accuser of the brethren. In uh, Revelation chapter 12, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, Satan, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. We see an example of that particular characteristic of Satan's in the very first chapter of Job. When we see him slandering and accusing Job before God. Here's an issue that I think is real to all of us. I doubt there's any of us who, if we're honest and we look into the depths of our heart, would say that there's never been a time we have slandered, spoke evil, accused a brother or sister at one time or another. To my shame, I can think of an example of my own life just this past week. It happens. It happens. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Now, his use of the word brethren is interesting there, don't you think? It kind of like jumps out at me. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
It reminds me of an occurrence in the life of, of Moses. You remember when Moses uh, kind of got himself in trouble for thinking along these same lines. Stephen, when he gave his sermon in Acts chapter 7, and when we went through the book of Acts, we didn't talk so much about Stephen's sermon. We talked about, uh, you know, his martyrdom and the events surrounding it, but we really didn't dig into his sermon. We left that for you to read on your own. But if you did, then in, in verses 23 through 26 of chapter 7, you read this. Now when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? Your brothers. Your family. Why would you do this thing? You are brethren, you are brothers, you are sisters, you are family. It's bad enough to speak against the enemies of the cross. Those who are not our brothers and sisters. But how do we justify it when we speak evil of our own family? James is pointing out the incongruity of that fact here, don't you think? When he says, speak not evil of yourselves, brethren. He says, it doesn't make any sense. The body is attacking itself. You know, in the medical field there, there are diseases where the body attacks itself. I'm far from an expert on this, so if I say something stupid, you medical people just ignore me. But here's the way I understand it. There are these autoimmune type diseases where the body is literally attacking itself. Uh, you know, the defenses that would normally be part of, of the normal human body. Uh, instead of attacking the wrong things, start attacking the right things. And there are all kinds of diseases like that. I'm, I, I'm told that diabetes is a disease like that. Type 1 diabetes, where the body attacks the pancreas. Graves disease, where the thyroid gland comes under attack. Hepatitis, where the liver gets attacked. There are others that aren't quite so targeted to a particular organ. It's just the defenses of the body attack the whole body. Rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, AIDS. How sad when the body attacks itself. Sad in the medical world. It's also sad in the body of Christ. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. When our children were very little, and we served in a church in New Jersey, we decided one day we wanted to take them to the zoo. We were, unfortunately, typical servants in a local church who were paid very, very poorly and nearly starving to death, so we couldn't afford the admission to the zoo. But then someone told us about a little zoo that was local there, privately run concern, that was free. And so we thought, great, and off we went to the zoo, only to discover why it was free. As we were standing there with our two little ones in tow, looking out across this penned-in area, there was a bunch of antelopes there in this little area. And as we're looking at them and smiling and the kids are looking at them, I noticed to my horror that one of them was laying, legs straight up in the air, deader than a hammer, right there in the middle of the field. Flies buzzing all around him. Josh, who was just a little guy then, I will never forget him pointing it out and saying, Daddy, look, that one's asleep. <laughs> we hurried them away from there. We went to another display of monkeys. And here were the monkeys in this cage. And I was watching this one monkey who seemed to have an unusual behavior. He would stare at me through the cage, and then he would turn and start chewing on his arm. 
just he'd stare at you and then he'd bite his arm. And I thought, well, that's silly. Until I happened to notice that the stupid thing had actually eaten away a vast portion of the muscle on his arm and blood. And I thought, well, well, we'll move away from that. How sad. How sad. When the body attacks itself. Just as that monkey attacked himself. It's terrible in the church. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're family. Uh, we ought not to be doing that. We ought to be speaking up for defending our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not defaming. Not speaking against. I remember another day when as a teenage boy living in a home with two other teenage boys and a teenage sister. I remember getting a report one day that something bad was happening to my sister. I don't remember any of the details of this event. I just remember that the report came back that somebody was doing something to our sister. I also remember grabbing baseball bats. I remember me and my two brothers piling into a car, peeling out of the driveway and tearing off down the road. Why? Because we were going to bash somebody in the head because they were hurting our sister. Now, I have to tell you that no laws were broken that day. It turned out to be a false alarm, and, and none of that took place. But nonetheless... It reminds me of how we ought to be. All that we would remember that we are brothers and sisters in the church. Not defaming each other. Not speaking against each other. Protecting each other. Loving each other. Respecting each other. Demonstrating kindness. Generosity toward each other. Because we are brothers. Can't you just hear the amazement in James' voice? Can't you hear? It's kind of like he said, just be brethren. Brethren, do not speak evil of one another Brethren, it just shouldn't be the case. He gives another reason here to avoid speaking evil of others. If you keep on reading in verse number 11, he says, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. And that word law there is just a word that it, it, it can be translated law. It can also be translated scriptures. It's, it just refers to the word of God, really. I think we could rightly consider that it refers to the Bibles that we all carried in here to church this morning. We did all carry Bibles into church this morning, right? Christians, carry your Bibles to church. How else do you know whether or not I'm completely saying nonsense up here if you don't have your Bible in front of you to check me out? But he's talking here about the Word of God. And James is saying here that when we speak evil one of another, we are speaking evil of the law. We are speaking evil of the Word of God. Here's how one commentator explained that. He said, there is a law against evil speaking. It is God's law. And when we carve up a brother or sister in Christ, we are breaking that law. Another explained it like this. The man who deliberately breaks a law thereby disparages the law itself. In effect, he sets himself above it and declares that it is a bad law, not worthy to be obeyed. And by the way, just as a political aside, all kinds of comments could be made about things that are going on in our country right now with complete disrespect of the law by Somebody in the highest position in the land. When we break one of God's laws, such as the words against evil speaking, then we are setting ourselves above God's law and above God himself. That's what James is saying. And of course the Bible, the law, is full of all kinds of injunctions about our speech, right? All kinds of things that tell us we ought not to be speaking evil of another slandering another. Psalm 140, verse 11, let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Ephesians 4, 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. First uh, Peter chapter 2, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and the all evil speaking. 
Paul warned Timothy that in the very last days there would be an increase of all kinds of evil behavior. And one of the things that he said would be a mark of the last days would be an increase in slanderers, evil speaking. And so I think James is giving us a clear imperative here. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Before I move off that point, there is another key thing to notice. If you read down a little bit further in verse number 12, verse number 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? There's an interesting difference there. He's been talking about speaking evil of brothers, but as he develops his argument a little bit further, he's not just talking about brothers there. That's the word heteros, which means another of a different kind. And what he's saying there is, it's not just the prohibition against evil speaking for our brothers and sisters. It actually applies to everybody. Others, whether they're in our camp or out of our camp, whether they are our brothers or not, don't speak evil of any of them. Consider your words. Number two, James says we need to consider our place. Our place. Notice he said if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save it, to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Do you remember what James' main theme has been throughout this passage, or throughout this entire study, rather? He has been hammering at us throughout about the fact that faith should be active. Faith should be working. The whole uh, theme that we've used for this series has been faith works. He has said clearly to us that our role in this Christianity thing is to be doing what the Bible tells us that we're to be doing. Obeying and living out our faith. We are to be doers and doing. Isn't that what he said in chapter 1? It's pretty clear. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. But now notice what he says here. What he says here in chapter 4 is that when we speak evil of others, we are no longer acting as doers. Now we're acting as judges. Now we're forgetting our place. Now we're trying to take God's place and put ourselves in the position of a judge. And notice what he says. He says, who are you? Who are you to judge? One man said, you who should be concerned only with obeying, that is, doing the law, have usurped the role of the maker and enforcer of the law, the judge. Such a one arrogates the office of a judge usurps the office. Who are you to judge another? Or in our modern vernacular, James might be saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? How rashly arrogant in judging thy fellows and wresting from God the office which belongs to him over thee and them alike. And so we become a judge. We place ourselves in the position of God when we speak evil of others. We ought not to do that. We ought not to do that. Now, before we get off this, though, you know, you're always on an interesting, you're in an interesting topic when you start talking about judging. And so I think we need to clarify a little bit this morning. James is plainly teaching here that the kind of judging that we just described is something that we ought to avoid. He's plainly teaching that we ought not to speak evil of others, for in doing so we're forgetting our place And putting ourselves in the position of God. That's what he's saying. But we do not want to take it too far. James is not saying that it is always wrong to judge. We are very fond of quoting. 
Many people are very fond of quoting Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And a lot of people will just stop right there, as if Jesus never said another word. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And yet, if you continue reading chapter 7 and work your way down through, you will see that he tells us over and over and over different things that we need to be judging. He didn't say, in all cases, do not judge. If we were to look at that chapter, we'd see that he taught us he taught us to judge others with respect to their sin in verses three through five. The very next few verses, he says, "You got uh, you, you want to judge the uh, speck in your brother's eye? Just make sure you get the plank out of your own first, and then deal with the speck in your brother's eye." He didn't say don't judge. He said judge rightly. He said apply the judgment to yourself first. He didn't say don't always never judge. He talks in that passage about judging false prophets in verse number 15. He tells you how to determine and to beware of false prophets. But how can you know a prophet is false if you don't exercise judgment? So he's all throughout there he's talking about uh, different types of judgment that are right, that we should have in our lives. A few years ago I counseled a couple. They wanted to get married. And uh, I met with them. I remember me right here. It was back when we had pews that I remember, right there on the front pew, sitting with this couple. The young lady had attended our church, but had never given any evidence of salvation whatsoever. And the young man didn't attend at all, and didn't even, I don't think he knew what salvation was. And so as I talked with them, I, I gently was trying to point out to them that one of the most important things in a marriage, in starting out a marriage, is that, you know, you're both believers, and, you know, you're starting out the marriage with Christ in your life. You know, we tried to have that conversation. And I, as gently as I could, pointed out to them that I, 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 what evidence is there in your life that you're a believer? Can, you, can we talk about this? Well, they were very uncomfortable with that discussion, and pretty soon the conversation ended. They went on their way, and oddly enough, I did not end up doing that wedding. And sometime later, I saw the young lady, and that conversation came up. And I just said, I'm just curious. I said, why, why did you choose to go someplace else? And she said, I felt like you were judging me. Well, I thought, you're right. You felt correctly. I was judging you. And that's the kind of judgment that we are supposed to be doing as believers. Jesus did not say never judge. He said judge rightly. We never quote John chapter 7 of verse number 24 when he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He specifically told us to judge under certain occasions, but to do so rightly. We are told how to judge salvation in ourselves and in others. Brother Phil mentioned this this morning in his Sunday school class. I thought he'd been stealing my notes because he was talking about the very same thing. We're to judge salvation in ourselves and in others by fruit. I think James was saying something very similar here when he mentioned faith without works being dead. No fruit, no root. You're not a believer if there's no evidence of it in your life. We're not wrong to judge in that regard. We need to judge in that regard. We need to judge ourselves in that regard. We need to look at ourselves and say, is there fruit in my life? Is my salvation real? And if not, we need to do business with God and get saved. And we need to judge others that way because how else do we know what to say to them? How else do we know what to share with them out of the Word of God? If someone has no fruit in their life, I'm not interested in telling them the deep truths of the Bible. I want to share with them how they can come to know the Lord. The only thing that matters is salvation. To that person. And so we need to be able to judge in order to do that. We're told to judge salvation. Paul told the local church of Corinth to pass judgment on a sinning member in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's a hard passage. But it's there. 
We're told to judge the words we hear preached and taught to us. You should be judging me right now. Passing judgment on everything I say. You should be looking in your Bible to see if what I say is true. Paul said, in uh, where did he say this here? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so you should be comparing every word to what the Bible says. So, I don't want to froth at the mouth too much about that, but it's a pet thing that a lot of people really get off on. We don't want to take James' words too far. He is here warning us against a wrong kind of a judgment. But he's not saying never judge. And he's not saying it's always wrong to judge. What he's saying is, the judgment we exercise when we slander others and speak evil of them... That judgment is reserved for God and falls outside of the judgment we are to exercise as believers. So, he's given us a clear directive. Do not speak evil of one another, brothers. He's given us a penetrating question. Who are you to judge another? He said we need to consider our words and consider our place. I thought this morning I'd conclude with a few practical ideas about just how we might do that. I mean, how do we do it? I mean, what practical things can we do in our lives to help us to minimize this thing that, that comes so easily to all of us of speaking evil one of another? Let me, let me just share a few thoughts. And I, this is just a brain dump, some things I wrote down. How can we do it? How can we avoid speaking evil of one another? Well, I think, number one, we need to listen to ourselves. Listen to what comes forth from our own mouths. If you hear it, if you hear slander coming forth from your own mouth, if you hear evil speaking about another or others, you need to do something about it. And that starts by hearing it. It starts by recognizing it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think all of us need to examine our hearts in this matter. Listen to what we say. Hear our own words. We're more familiar with our own words than anybody else. And if this is true of us, there may be some this morning that when we sing our hymn of invitation in a moment need to step out and say, Lord, I need to do something about that. Help me with that. So it starts by listening to yourself. And number two, if it's something that's known, if the evil speaking that maybe you've heard yourself say is something that's known, the slander that you've done towards somebody else's public, then you need to make it right. You need to make it right with that person that you have injured. You need to seek not only God's forgiveness, but theirs as well. I think you need to go to them privately. Talk to them about it. Confess it to them. Ask their forgiveness. Pray with them about it. In a few weeks, we're going to conclude our study in James. We're almost done. We have just one more chapter to go, chapter 5. And uh, in a couple weeks, we'll get down into this part of chapter 5 where we read that we're to confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your trespasses one to another. You know, some people take that awfully far. Some people say that we should confess all our sins to others. And I'll save that discussion for when we get there in chapter 5. But let me just say this right now. I don't believe that's the case. But I do believe if it's a public sin, it needs to be taken care of publicly. If you have hurt somebody publicly and they know about it, you need to go and deal with it. Private sin, deal with on your own. Private sin, private confession. But public sin, public confession. So if your slander is known, you may need to go and make it right. 
Number three, I think you need to remember mom's advice. Mom who said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. That would protect us from a lot of evil speaking, would it not? And, of course, Mom was just paraphrasing Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when he said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Oh, the problems, if we would just listen to Mom on that. I think, number four, we need to practice saying good things. Practice saying good things. You know, we're taught in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 that we need to fill our minds with good thoughts. I think the thing is, it's also true here. We need to fill our mouths with good words. We need to practice saying good things. I, I listened to a sermon yesterday, one of Alistair Begg's sermons. I think I'd heard this sermon before, but as I was listening to this sermon, he was talking about the fact that uh, one time one of his daughters, I think it was a daughter, had come to him when she was in school. And her best friend had slandered her and said something terrible, and she was just very, very upset and furious with her best friend. Didn't know what to do about it. And Alistair sat her down and said, Honey, I think what you should do is, I think you should get a little piece of paper, and you should write on that piece of paper, I forgive you, and I love you, and hand that piece of paper to her. And Alistair, of course, went into this hilarious tirade about how his daughter just flew off the handle and you weren't there, you have no idea, there's no way that could work. But she finally came down to earth and she did it. And joy and tears and restored relationships resulted. Oh, we need to practice saying good things. Even though our, our flesh wants to say something vicious. Even though our flesh wants to rip them to pieces. Say something good. Force yourself. Practice it. A word fitly spoken, the Bible says, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So practice saying good things. Where are we at here? Number five, I think. Fill your mind with the word of God. Fill your mind with the word of God. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart? What do you fill your heart with? What do you fill your mind with? What gets poured in there? Because that's what's going to come out of your mouth. I read an illustration that another pastor used to describe this particular thing. He said he stood up on the platform one day and he was preaching from that passage. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as he was standing there, he he took his water bottle that he was holding here, and he took it and he poured it out on the platform. And he said to his congregation, he said, Now, why is there water on the platform? And, of course, everybody looked at him like he was an idiot, as if to say, well, you dummy, you just poured it out on the platform. But he said, no, apart from the obvious, he said, why isn't there Pepsi on the platform? Or why isn't there Kool-Aid on the platform? And, of course, the reason that there was not Kool-Aid or Pepsi on the platform, and that there was water on the platform, is because there was water in the bottle. And what was in the bottle is what came out. And it's true. If we will fill our minds, fill our hearts with the Word of God, that's what will flow out. And so we need to do that. And finally, the last practical suggestion I would make is we just need to talk less. Just talk less. You know, it may be the simplest, most absolutely foolproof solution, but it works. You cannot speak evil of somebody else if you don't open your mouth in the first place. And so let's talk less. Proverbs chapter 17, he who has knowledge spares his words, 
and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. I'm sure you can think of a few other suggestions, and if so, I'd love to hear them. But there's a few that just come off the top of my mind. Let's have them together, brothers, sisters, that we will not speak evil of one another. I quoted from Charles Spurgeon last week, and I want to close with that quote once again. He said, let this be our family motto and our personal bond. Speak evil of no man.